Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, worthy is your name, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory, power, strength, wisdom, and might. Tonight we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to draw near to you. We thank you for our brothers and sisters who've led us as we've sung praise to your name, as we've sought to honor you in our praise. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have to draw near to you. And as the Lord taught us that the true worshiper are those who worship in spirit and in truth. So we come now during the middle of this week and we thank you for the blessings that you have given to us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that you've shown to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. For those who are watching for us tonight who cannot be with us, we pray for them. We pray that you would encourage them wherever they are, whatever their circumstances, whatever their condition. May they be encouraged by the Holy Spirit, though we are together in spirit, we're not always together physically. We, we thank you for that which brings us together, and that is our relationship to Jesus Christ and being children of God who've been saved and born again. So tonight, Lord, bless our time together. We thank you for putting on our hearts someone tonight. So we pause now, Lord, and we present to you that person as we seek to do every Wednesday night, that person that you've especially put on our heart today. We present them to you now, and we ask that you would, <clears throat> that you would bring them closer to you through salvation or through drawing them back in their relationship to you, help them to see their need to walk with you in joy and peace. We pray that you would help them if they're sick, that they might be healed, if it be your will. We pray that you might do the work that you need to do in their lives. Even if they don't ask for it, we pray on their behalf that they might be drawn to you and walk with you. We pray, Lord, for all of the various ministry things that are going on on this campus tonight, all of our students as they meet, and all of our children, and all of our other Bible studies. We thank you for this ministry of this church. We thank you for the many, many wonderful opportunities we have to grow in grace and knowledge together and to encourage one another as we see the day of the Lord Jesus drawing near. We ask that tonight you'd give us a lack of distraction, whether we're here physically in this place or whether we're listening. <clears throat> May we hear what you have to say to us from your word as we consider the very important responsibility we have to be obedient as your children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good evening. Good to see all of you, and you're glad that you're here. And if you haven't picked up the outline, it is at the back. You can pick one up and you can follow along as we finish tonight. We've been talking for some time about a call to Christian obedience, and uh, tonight we'll complete that work, and then here in the weeks to come, we'll be looking uh, verse by verse through the book of Philippians, and so I hope that you'll join us uh, for that time. I think that'll be a real blessing to us all as we work our way through, uh, Lord willing, uh, whatever days the Lord gives us as uh, we our days lengthen and uh, we come into those, uh, into those different kinds of times of Easter and then summertime, uh, what a joy it'll be for us to be together. Those of you who are watching us tonight, may the Lord bless you. We miss you. We wish you were here. We know you can't be, but we're glad that you are 
uh, joining us. So 1 Peter chapter 1 is where I'd like for you to look tonight in your copy of God's Word. And uh, we've looked at so many different things that have to do with Christian obedience. It is, at the, uh, it is this old thing we've talked about, and I mentioned it to you before. You know the old hymn. I closed with it last time. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We have faith. And so our, our faith is obedient faith. And our obedience is a demonstration of our faith. So these things go together. If I am one who says that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I will be one who obeys what God says for me to do. So here we are back in 1 Peter. And Peter has some wonderful things to say to us in verses in chapter 1, verses 3 through 12 is somewhat of an introduction, and our main focus tonight will be verses 13 through 16. So let's read verses 13 through 16 together, and then let me make a couple of general comments, and then we'll uh, move along. Therefore, so Peter's coming to a conclusion after what's been said in the introduction. Therefore, he's writing now to believers just like us. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of your word. And Holy Spirit of God, please come and move in our hearts as your saved children, your people, and teach us the word of God so that we might be better for having been here tonight and hearing these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you have five uh, what are called imperatives that come out of this, uh, these verses together. And I've listed them for you. And we'll look at them in just a moment in some detail. The focal truth around which this whole uh, section is written is this. That obedient believers practice holiness. Obe uh, obedient believers, those who obey as children of God... The Word of God, <clears throat> practice or live in a holy manner, in holiness of life. And so tonight we consider this as we finish because this is, this is somewhat the capstone. This is what helps us understand what it means to truly be like the Lord. We cannot be holy in all ways as the Lord is holy, as God is holy, but we can demonstrate holiness in our actions and in our behavior by the help of the Holy Spirit. So also, while we're looking at some things in general, uh, this passage ends with Leviticus 19.2 as the quotation. You shall be holy, for I am holy. So uh, keep your finger there in 1 Peter and go back down your Bible to Leviticus for just a moment. Leviticus 19, which is the listing of the laws of God. Because again, there is this very important connection between obeying God's commands and being holy. Holiness is tied to obedience to God's commands. 
So when Peter's writing these things, he's writing these things now to believers in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and now he reminds us and pulls from Leviticus chapter 19 these words that open this very important section. Then the Lord said to Moses, <clears throat> Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You, sons of Israel, you shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. It's interesting, and this is just a sidelight as you begin these, <clears throat> these words, the first thing that is describing holiness in action is this, verse 3, Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father. And you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. There's no accident to the order in which God gives us His Word. And it is very interesting to me, and it's somewhat of a sidelight from tonight, but you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father. It is actually the same Hebrew word where we get our word, the fear of the Lord. It is this idea of reverence, great reverence for mother and father. One act of holiness that we all must practice is reverencing, honoring our father and mother. Uh, if they are alive, that is part of your obligation and responsibility in living a life of holiness. So now we come back to 1 Peter. What else do we hear? We hear uh, those living creatures in the book of Revelation day and night saying, uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. The declaration of God's holiness is at the heart of all things. He is holy, undefiled, separate from sin. There is, the God of holiness can have nothing to do with sinfulness. That's why we've talked at length on Sundays about the cross of Jesus Christ. And I very much appreciated our brothers and sisters singing about the cross tonight. It is finished because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Peter can write these words to all of us who are believers. Now we're called to live as God's holy children. We are holy ones. We are the ones who are to live in holiness of life. <clears throat> so Peter keeps this uh, going for some time. He, he speaks about this in a number of ways throughout this uh, letter and reminds us of the importance of our new identity. In fact, before we get into this in detail, look again now in 1 Peter chapter number 2. If you go to 1 Peter chapter number 2, you see that we're described as coming, drawing near to Jesus Christ, like, like He is the stone upon which we're built. But you'll notice these interesting words. I'm reading 1 Peter 2, 5. You also, as living stones, that is, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, are being built up to a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. We are God's holy children, but we are all, we have our priesthood before God. We can now individually draw near to God as a, whole, as a house full of holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
And then he goes on down and he says in verse 9, you, talking about us who are believers in Jesus Christ, you are, listen to this, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, notice, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So we've been possessed by God, by the Holy Spirit of God now living within us. We are possessed people. We're saved and we're possessed now by the Holy Spirit of God, who, uh, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So we're to live in holiness, and our bodies are to be presented to God, as we talked about a few weeks ago, Romans chapter 12, present yourself for service to God, listen, as alive from the dead, a living and holy sacrifice. So I ask you tonight, what is your spiritual condition, my Christian friend? Are you living in holiness or have you again gone back and gone back to corruption through your lusts? Your old soul is corrupted again, defiled because of sin. Have you been drawn back into worldliness? And there is in your life a, a lack of desire and joy and, and, uh, and, and desire for God and for His Word. Where are you tonight, my fellow believers? Where are you in your relationship to walking with God and being, as Peter says here, as obedient children? You see, that's a, that tense is describing your current condition. You are as obedient children being holy like the Lord is who called you is holy. So <clears throat> let's look first of all at this introduction because it's so very important for us to see these words in context. Now I won't be long, but I want you to just follow your eye through 1 Peter chapter 1. First of all, believers are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice this beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to His great mercy, the great mercy of God the Father, He has caused us, talking to us who are Christians here tonight, He has caused us, He's the reason why we can be born again. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So believers are born again to a living hope. When you were saved, when you were born again, there came to be a new hope in your life. A new hope because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He has ascended to heaven. He is our great high priest king. He is the one that we can draw near to. We have this wonderful, wonderful hope that is ours as a result of knowing Jesus Christ. I, I give you this and I did not have a chance to speak on this on Sunday mornings when we've been looking at Hebrews. But I'd like for you to look for a moment in Hebrews chapter 6 uh, as we look at this wonderful truth about our living hope in Jesus Christ who's raised from the dead. I'm reading from Hebrews 6 beginning in verse number uh, 8. Let me go up to verse 17. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, that is us who are Christians, the unchangeableness of His purpose interposed with an oath, with a promise. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us, 
Now please notice, this hope, verse 19, we have as an anchor. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Oh, my friends, throw your anchor into heaven where Jesus is tonight. Are you listening to the preacher? Throw your anchor of hope into heaven. Throw your anchor of hope. An anchor holds you steady in the storms. So some are relieved saying, well, we're coming out of these things. Well, it'll go from this to something else. In this world, you will have tribulation. Here Peter is reminding us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has begotten us again. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Throw your anchor of hope into heaven where Jesus Christ is. The point of it is, set your hope on Jesus Christ who is alive, risen from the dead, ascended, enthroned in heaven as our high priest. Number two, believers have a heavenly inheritance reserved in heaven. Verse four, to obtain, he goes on, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The sentence continues to obtain a heaven, an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You are now an heir of promise. We'll be talking more about this in the weeks ahead on Sunday mornings about the great privilege of being adopted children of God. And as a result of being a child of God, you have a part of the inheritance. You receive an inheritance as a child. You're an heir of promise. And that is reserved for you in heaven. How often we think about this world and how great it is and consider how little heaven must be. Look, heaven is so much grander and more glorious than this place. There's something reserved for you in heaven the presence and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of those great saints. We've talked about it and seen that before. But now we have this great truth of our inheritance reserved in heaven. It's waiting for you. Believers are protected in this world by God's power till Jesus comes again. Verse 5, who, the sentence goes on, are protected by the power of God through faith. You and I do not know nor appreciate tonight the many ways God protects us. He protects us and protects you and me who are believers in Jesus Christ in ways we don't even know. We're protected. What it is that the psalmist says over and over, I am sur you surround me with your loving kindness. That's what God does for you and me who are saved. We're surrounded by the loving kindness of God. He has His eye as the psalmist said. His eye is on us. He sees us in all of our circumstances and we are those who have a living hope through Jesus Christ, a heavenly inheritance reserved in heaven, protected by the power of God till the coming of Jesus Christ. These are our promises for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. And verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. If that can't bring any joy to your heart, then you may not be saved. If that brings no joy to your life to focus and think about what I've just described to you, 
about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, then something's wrong with your relationship to God or your understanding of these truths. But notice now the transition. These things are the blessings that God has given to us, a living hope through the resurrection, a heavenly inheritance reserved in heaven, protection of God in this world till Jesus comes again, and now a joy in the midst of the distresses of earthly trials. Read on, he says. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. What? Verses 3, 4, three, four and 5. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So all of this uh, virus and pandemic started right after the tornado, which is today, which was a year ago. And here we are a year later. Some of us have struggled with various things in our life and it seems like it's a long time, but actually it's just a little while. The Lord Jesus, when He was about to leave, there in the upper room, He talked to the disciples, in a little while you'll see Me. Describing the time from His death to His resurrection and then that joy that is ours. But now we live in the little while of pain and struggle. Notice how Peter describes it here. Though uh, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed. I know most of you very well as your pastor after all these years, and it's been my uh, it's been my joy to serve you, but also the sadness to see the distress in the lives of many of our people. Distress that's come from the trials of life, sometimes unexplainable to us, a mystery. Though, though now for a little while, my friends, if necessary, you've been distressed by trials. But notice, believer's faith is tested during these trials. Verse 7, so that the proof of your faith. What proves, you, what proves that you have faith? How is your faith proven? To be real and genuine. Are you listening? It's through the trouble you go through. Will you believe God when it's all falling apart? Will you believe God when the great trials and fires and pain and struggle comes in your life? It's the proof of our faith. These distressing trials. It's more precious than gold which is perishable. Verse 7. Tested by the fire. And as a result of the proof of our faith, it will be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You will be honored and praised for your faith in God through your trials. God does not miss a thing that He puts you through. God does not miss a thing that He puts you through. And so we see here then in verse 8, believers during this time of trial, one of the most precious things that happens in your life and mine during these days of various distressing trials is this. Look at this. This is beautiful. It's the second even though. The first one was verse 6. Even though now for a little while you have distressed by trials. Even though now you have not seen Him. You love Him and though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. 
Why do we sing about Jesus? Why do we praise God in the fire? Why do we do it? Though we've never seen the Lord Jesus, Peter saw Him with his eyes. But he reminds us that though we as believers in Jesus Christ have never physically seen the Lord Jesus Christ, as he says here, we love Him. How is your love for the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? Do you love Him? Do you love the one who died for you? Do you have affection for the Lord Jesus? Is there warmth in your heart, any joy? Or are you, are you one who thinks that you deserve God doing these things for you? When you consider the trials and troubles, oh, how I wish I could, as a man said to me one time, I wish I could just see Jesus. But you see, it is our faith. It is our faith and our assurance of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ being alive in heaven and our trusting Him. Though you do not see Him, verse 8, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now in the midst of distressing trials, listen, you believe in Him. And because of that, believers love and rejoice greatly in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do now. That's what we do now. We love the Lord and we rejoice and praise Him, and believe and trust Him. And as he goes on to say in verse 9, the sentence continues, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Notice verse 4, you obtain an inheritance. And in verse number 9, you obtain the outcome of your faith, and that is heaven, the ultimate and final salvation of, of our souls. So when we have through this last year, and I've stood with the many of our loved ones at their gravesides, um, of those who have been a part of our church, who are no longer with us, there is a sadness, but there is a gladness because now they obtain the outcome of their faith, the salvation of their souls. That's why we live. We live so that we might experience eternal life in Jesus Christ. And heaven is far longer than earth to all of us. Well, with all of this said, now all of a sudden we find Peter making this unusual transition. And he talks about, uh, he talks about this salvation for a moment. Look at this in verse 10. This salvation, that is the salvation of our souls... This salvation, the prophets prophesied of the grace that would come as they made careful searches and inquiries, verse 11, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. This salvation we have from the Old Testament, the Word of God, the prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They predicted, please notice verse 11, His sufferings and His glory to follow. His sufferings and His resurrection. And then verse 12, it was revealed to these prophets that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving us who are believers here tonight. From all these thousands of years, those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ... They were not serving themselves, but they were serving believers in these things which we now are, have announced to us. 
through those who preach the gospel to us by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Please notice the last phrase. These things the angels long to long to look. This uh, Greek word to this phrase, to long to look, is an idea to stoop down and to study something carefully, to pay close attention to it. The angels in heaven still marvel at the glory of God to save sinful people. They have served God faithfully, those elect angels. And they are amazed continually at the grace and glory of God and the salvation that has come to us through Jesus Christ. Think about the angel's work in the life of the Lord Jesus from the beginning of His life to the end while He was on the earth, even to the time of His, uh, His resurrection. So we see these wonderful truths, and now we get to, okay, we've spent this time, now we get to what we're supposed to talk about tonight. And it is this exhortation. Therefore, so as a result of all of these blessings... All of this that we have, this living hope, this heavenly inheritance that's ours, the protection of God, living in the joy that God gives by faith in the distresses of trials, and our faith being proven during these trials, and the love and faith we have that turns to joy in Jesus Christ in these trials, and the obtaining of eternal salvation based on our faith in Christ, <clears throat> and the preaching of the gospel that we have all believed, through the Holy Spirit revealed by the prophets of the Old Testament. Therefore, therefore, and here we have the five imperatives. So what do I do, in other words? What do I do? How do I obey? Well, Peter says, he says in five ways. Number one, prepare your mind, your minds for action. Second, keep sober in spirit. Third, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then uh, fourth, believers must not conform to their former lusts, but obey God as His children. And we must be holy in all our behavior. So let's walk through these for just a moment together and think about them. First of all, we're called to have prepared minds. Now this is... Uh, hard for us to get, so we don't, we don't, uh, uh, the women appreciate this more than the men. I, I remember when I used to preach, <clears throat> I, I would preach, I preached in this little country church when I first started as a, a preacher way back, I was 19 years old, and, and uh, those people were patient with me, and I'm grateful for all of them, most of them now in heaven, uh, but they were good people, uh, but they were, uh, they were uh, cattle people. Uh, back in Oklahoma. And one lady, she came to church and she wanted me to know that she wore her, her uh, blue jeans to church because she had to go home and take care of the cows. And she wanted me to know that because all the rest of the women had their dresses on. This was an, an ancient day for some of you young people in here. There was a rule, you know, you don't wear your dress Church, she said, I wear these jeans up here because I am not about to have to try to tie my dress up to milk the cows. Well, I give you that illustration not to be silly, but you see, he starts with this strange phrase, 
prepare your minds for action. It is this idea in the ancient world of they would take their robes when they were getting ready to do some work and pull them up and tighten them around their waist. Get them out of the way so that they'd be ready to do their job, their work. By the way, I never crossed that lady who was milking cows. I was always happy whatever she wanted to do. If she wanted to come to church with her blue jeans on, praise God, you just come in here. She was... She, if she could wrestle down a cow, she could take care of a Baptist preacher quick. <clears throat> but here is the call. Have a prepared mind. Don't have an unprepared mind. Don't have a drifting mind. Don't have a, 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 a disheveled mind, a scattered mind. Have a prepared mind. Live as a prepared mind a prepared-minded believer. In other words, it is prepare your mind. There's work to do. Gird up the, gird up your, tighten, gird your mind up. Get it in order. Tighten things up in your mind. Where's your mind tonight, my friend? Drifting away out there somewhere, scattered and distracted, terrorized, troubled, afraid. Prepare your mind. Peter says, prepare your mind, and that begins by uh, Colossians 2, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I'm going to ask you again, how often do you think about heaven? One time a young man was in a Bible study, he said, well, you know, when, as I get older, I'll think more about heaven. No, friend, you, you, the day you're saved, you start thinking about heaven. That's not just for old Christians and old people. That's for all of God's people. We set our minds, a prepared mind sets the mind on where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Prepared minds uh, set their minds on the Spirit. They set their minds on spiritual things. How much of your mind is occupied with spiritual truth? And the only way you get that is to study the Word of God. Prepared minds are minds that are ready and waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord called it, be alert. In Luke 12, be alert, watchful, be watching. This is a prepared mind. A prepared mind is not a, is not a surprised mind. A prepared mind is an alert mind. Prepared minds are alert to the adversary. In this very book, Peter uses the same phrase about being alert, paying attention. He says, be of sober spirit and be on the alert for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Tonight, do you have a prepared mind? Secondly, he says, believers must be sober in spirit. So it is, <clears throat> be prepared in your mind, have a prepared mind. And secondly, I love this, be sober in spirit. Soberness of spirit is actually the way to describe this, a calm spirit. Calmness. Calmness. I love what the psalmist said. I am like a weaned, like a weaned child. This is Psalm 131 too. Like a weaned child against his mother, so my soul is like a weaned child within me. That's Psalm 62. My soul waits in silence. Listen, for God only. Calmness. 
calm, calm. The world, the noise of the world, the struggles of the world, the churn, the stir, the agitation. Oh, for calmness. Ready, prepared minds and calm-spirited. That's what we have to be. Calm-spirited people. We are awake and spiritually alert to the days in which we live in these last days. We are calm knowing that the end of all things is at hand. Look at this in this same book, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 7. The end... Now, I'm going to preach sometime on the end of all things. And the world will laugh because we're talking about it. But the Word of God says the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, notice, and calm spirit for the purpose of prayer. We're calm because Jesus is about to come again. We're calm spirited. And we're calm in all the circumstances <clears throat> that we face in our lives. We're calm-spirited. We're not agitated souls. We're calm-spirited people. It's important for us to remember these things, my dear friends. Second uh, Peter 4, 5 says, But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. But you be calm in all things. I ask you tonight, are you calm in everything that's going on in your life? Third, believers must set their hope completely on the grace of God through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first, it's prepared minds. Second, it's calm spirits. Third, it's, listen, settled hope. That's what this is. Settled hope. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep, your, keep sober in spirit, and fix your hope completely on God's grace to be brought at the coming of Jesus Christ. So much is yet to come, my dear friends. Your salvation is coming near. <clears throat> the joy of salvation is I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. The salvation of our souls, the outcome of salvation, the final part of our salvation is yet to come when we are glorified, when we are, when we are with the Lord, when we enjoy heaven. So I prepare my mind, I have a calm spirit in everything that I'm facing, and I have a settled hope in the salvation of Jesus Christ and in the love of God that is poured out in my heart by the Holy Spirit and I have confident hope that Jesus Christ is coming again and that heaven is my home. That's what we saw as we looked at these verses in 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4. Tonight I ask you, are you prepared in mind as a Christian? Are you calm, spirited? Are you settled in your hope? Remember, throw your anchor of hope inside the veil Put your anchor in your hope in Jesus Christ. And then he says that we're to be nonconformists. In verse 14, 
As obedient children, do not be conformed. Please notice, not to the world. Oh, this is far more personal. Now, this is for every one of us tonight. Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. You see, we used to live in our lusts and in our passions and desires and in our covetousness and all of these ways in ignorance. We did not know because the word, we did not know the word of God. We did not know that these things were sin. But as the word of God reveals to us and speaks to us, we discover what sin is from the word of God. And we realize that we have all of these passions that have driven us in our lives. And many of us tonight are still conforming to lusts that you now know better are hurtful to you in your spiritual life. Are you conforming to your old lusts? Are you conforming to your old desires? Desiring money, desiring position, desiring respect, desiring fame, desiring sexual immorality. I could go on. The list of passions and desires and lusts is great and long. The question is, are you conforming to your old lusts? And you have to answer that for yourself. You have to answer that for yourself. Avoid conforming to lust because these lusts of the heart lead to impurity in our thoughts and actions. That's Romans 1.24. When we avoid conforming to lust, we, we remember that the lust of sin corrupts the mind with deceit. You see, when you give back into your lust, your mind tricks you and deceives you. And here's what it says. It's okay to do a little of this. It's never okay to do a little of this. It's never okay to do a little lust. It's corrupting. It deceives you. It destroys what happens to your spiritual life. We, we don't conform to lust because it enslaves and controls people's lives and drives them back to their pleasures, their selfish pleasures, rather than pleasing God. And when we conform... To our lusts, this is perhaps the one I want you to see, and it's from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Beloved, now I say it to all of you, my beloved brothers and sisters. Listen to me. Beloved, I urge you, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Oh, Pastor Mike, why don't I have a desire to praise? Because your lusts have raised up and waged war. They've deceived you and brought you back into carnality. And I could say many things more, but finally, believers must be holy in all their behavior. Notice how, Paul, uh, how Peter writes it. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts that were yours in ignorance, but, be, but like the Holy One who called you, like Him, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be, ho be holy. Listen, be holy in your business transactions. Be holy in your family relations. Be holy in your friendships. Be holy in your marriage. Be holy in your, in your relationship to your children and grandchildren and greats. Be holy in your conversation and in your words. Be holy in your thoughts. Be holy 
in your emotions. Be holy in your deeds and actions. This is a call to holiness. It is our call to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. So, as we finish tonight, what do we need to remember from these wonderful truths? Well, number one, obedient children of God practice holiness of life. You know, there is this idea sometimes, well, we preach and people must be holy, but you see, there is this great desire. Peter's showing us a process here. Because of my ready-mindedness and because of my calm spirit and my hope set upon the fact Jesus is coming again and all is well regardless of what happens, and because I'm nonconformist to my lusts and I desire to please God, I want to be like The Lord. As God is holy, His children are holy. This is, not an, this is not a matter of effort. This is a matter of what happens. Look, if you say you're saved and you're still living in wickedness like you were before you were saved, what is that? That may be a religious experience, but it doesn't mean you're saved. When you're saved, you grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. There are times when we fall back. There are times when we stumble. But you should be far, far, farther along in being like Jesus and growing in holiness now than you were when you first became a follower of Jesus. Preparation of mind leads to separation from our lust. You see, if I'm thinking right, I'm not going to go back to those things that enslaved me, my lusts in the past. Watching for the return of the Lord Jesus, purifies us. How did the Lord say it? He said, uh, He gave all those examples about the, the master who put his servants to work and told them he was going on a journey and he was going to return. Some of them stayed watchful, waiting, but others of them got lazy and careless. Have you become a lazy, careless one? You think maybe that Jesus made a mistake? He didn't really know what He was talking about, about coming again? So what do we do tonight, my friends? Well, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Cleanse yourself from all defilements of flesh. If you've come in here tonight and you've defiled your, your flesh through obeying lusts and going back to the old ways that were yours in ignorance, cleanse yourself and perfect holiness in the fear of God. Look, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And once you have said, Lord Jesus, that means you, He is Lord. That means you obey Him. You set your mind on the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, I desire by the Holy Spirit of God's help to be like Jesus Christ. Live a life of self-denial and self-surrender to God's commands to be holy. This is where the joy comes. This is what we have in Jesus. Well, thank you for listening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth of your word tonight. Oh, how Peter's words are so wonderful and rich for us tonight. As obedient children, help us not, Lord, help us to have victory over those lusts that control and seek to our old flesh. May we crucify every day those impulses, desires, 
and passions and urges that keep us from drawing near to you. And may we allow the Holy Spirit to enliven our desires to be with you, to pray, to get near to you, to hear your word, to worship God and to praise you and to live as holy people. We thank you for the blessing of your word and we thank you for the Holy Spirit of God who teaches us so that we might be a holy people possessed by you so that we might show your wonderful excellencies into a world of darkness. May Jesus be glorified through all that we do, through all the days that you give us until you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. Good to see all of you. Say hello to somebody on your way out. May the Lord bless you. Those who joined us tonight, God bless you. Come on back whenever you're ready. Come on back. We'd love to have you. Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday. Have a great day. Or evening, I should say.